0: Good morning. We are glad you're here. Our numbers are down, and I suspect probably going to be down for a while. But we are glad that you're here today, and we hope and pray that our time together benefits you as we worship God together. We are looking today, the passage Drew read a moment ago, 1 Peter chapter 5. And as we look at 1 Peter chapter 5, really the latter part of verse 5 down through verse 9, We're going to be talking about the theme today, Remember What You're Up Against. The theme of this lesson today is a reminder about the world that we live in. We live in a world that is replete with trials and temptations. There is no way to get around them. And so what we have to do is understand that we've got to, to the best of our ability, try to navigate our way through life and ultimately live in such a way so that heaven will be our home. So as we look at 1 Peter chapter 5 today and think about this theme, remember what you're up against. There are some things that Peter's going to say that will help us as we make our way through life. In 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 5, Peter is going to say, number one, we need to be submissive. Be submissive. Now, note, if you will, what Peter says in verse 5. The latter part. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. There is a principle laid down in Scripture that relates to humility. God requires those of us who live here on planet Earth to live humble lives. And there's a reason for that. Listen again to what Peter said. Peter writes, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Why do you think God would be interested in those of us living here on planet Earth to demonstrate a humble life before Him day in and day out? I think he states it in the following verses. So why? Why do you need to be humble? Why do I need to be humble? Number one, because of the trials of life. Now Peter is writing to Christians in the first century who are facing a lot of trials and tribulations because of their faith in the Lord. Back in chapter 1 he said that the trying of your faith being more precious than gold, though it be tried by fire, might be found unto praise, honor, and glory at the appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In chapter 4, Peter would say, If any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. These people were facing trials because of their association with the Christian religion. and Peter is saying, you need to live a humble life. Well, why? Well, because of the trials of life. And because humility will give you the ability to ask God for help in times of trial. We'll talk about that in just a moment. There's a second reason. Because of the temptations of life, we need to equip ourselves with a humble disposition. Now you remember over in Proverbs chapter 16 verse 18. Solomon said in the long ago, pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. Now, who's writing this letter? We said a minute ago, Peter was. All right. Do you think Peter came to understand the importance of humility in his own life? You remember back, for example, in John chapter 13, Jesus had been discussing with the apostles the fact that he was going to be going away. Peter, on this occasion, latter part of chapter 13, asked the question, why cannot I follow you now? And then he said, I am willing to lay down my life for your sake. You think Peter believed that? I am convinced that Peter in his heart of hearts believed that whatever came to pass If need be, he would die for the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet Jesus said, look, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, talked about ancient Israel and how they serve as an example to those of us in the body of Christ today, don't they? In verse 12, listen to what Paul said about those who fell time and again. He said, if any man thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Peter fell, didn't he? Thought he was strong, thought he would defend the Lord, thought he would be willing to lay down his life for the cause of Christ. And yet, under duress, he caved. So we need humility in times of trial, and in times of temptation, to ask God for help. Why? Because we face trials in life, because we face temptations in life. So Peter's saying we need to learn to be submissive, to learn to submit to the will of God, and to demonstrate humility in our lives. Peter really is saying you need to clothe your life with humility. It needs to be a part of the fabric of who you are. Now, there's a second thing Peter talks about. First, he says, you need to be submissive. Number two, he says, you need to be smart. Sometimes we have a lot of knowledge. We possess a great deal of knowledge. Sadly, however, we live beneath the knowledge we possess. happens time and again in life, doesn't it? Peter here is saying, all right, Trials are a natural part of life. Cares, anxieties, worries are common to all people. So you need to clothe yourself with humility. And you need to use some wisdom or intelligence as you deal with the various anxieties and trials in this life. And with a humble disposition, you need to learn to give God your cares in life. It's really what he's saying. Listen to him in verse 7. Casting all your cares on him, for he cares for you. Peter here is saying, number one, you need to learn to be smart in this life and give God your cares constantly. Well, what do you mean? Trials and Cares, anxieties, as I said a moment ago, are a part of life on a daily basis. We carry the weight of the world sometimes on our shoulders. and Peter is saying, I want you to give all your cares to God. I want you to give any of your cares to God. Listen to him again, verse 7. Casting all, A-L-L. God wants you to give Him... Every single care that you have in this life. Are we sometimes under the weight of anxiety because of what's going on in the world around us? Well, the answer would be yes. You think about some of the struggles that you face on a daily basis. There are a lot of hardships that people go through. Economically, sometimes people suffer because of the loss of a job, because of health issues, unable to work. As a result of that, their bills mount. We face hardships economically, physically. Sometimes our bodies are racked with pain. Sometimes we deal with stress and strain in life. The worries of this life are overwhelming. And yet I hear Jesus saying in the book of Luke, Fear not, little flock. I think about Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 when He asked the pointed question to the disciples, why do you worry? And then three times in that same context, Jesus would say, do not worry. I hear the Apostle Paul writing in Philippians chapter 4 saying, in nothing be anxious, in nothing worry, but in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. What's Peter saying here? The very same thing. Peter's saying, I want you to take the cares, the anxieties, the worries, the trials that you're facing in this life. I want you to take all of those cares, any of those cares, and I want you to deposit them in the hands of God. Listen, that's easier said than done, isn't it? How many times have you had people tell you, don't worry about it. Don't stress out about that. Don't continue to carry that baggage around in your life. But what do we do? We continue to worry. We continue to stress out about the things of this life. And yet, Peter is writing to Christians in the first century. And Peter is saying, I want you to give God your cares constantly. Why? Because life is filled with constancy in terms of cares. But then he says, you need to give them to God completely. Completely, constantly, and confidently. Well, why is that? Why should we give God the cares and the anxieties of this life with confidence? Let me give you two reasons. Number one, because of the genuine care that God has for you. Did you know God genuinely cares about you? How many times in life has somebody said to you, I care about you. I'm concerned about your well-being. Now there are times when because of who it is, we believe them. We know that they really care. They genuinely care about where we are in life. And then there are those who will say, I care. I'm concerned about your plight in life. But we wonder deep down, do they really care? It's almost as if it's this superficial care. I care, but I don't care enough to do anything about it. Or maybe it's artificial. There's really no substance to it. They say they care, but they don't. It's just a cliché well, you know, we love you, we care for you, but they really don't mean it. You need to understand something. God genuinely cares about you. Peter said, casting all your care, A-L-L, all your cares on Him. Why, Peter? For He cares for you. Why do you think God cares about you? Why do you believe or why do you think God genuinely cares about your well-being? Can I give you two reasons? Number one, because God has invested in you. He has an investment in you. Did you know that? Let me give you one verse to back that up. John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Paul would write in Romans chapter 8, But God, who spared not His own Son, listen, God has demonstrated His genuine care for us by the sending of Christ to Calvary. There is not a soul on earth that can ever shake their fist in the face of God and say, you don't care about me. Or that your care for me is superficial or artificial. No, God has genuinely demonstrated His care for us. He has invested in us as a parent. When you brought that baby home from the hospital, day one, really before that, you began investing in the well-being of that child, didn't you? You think about as a parent, how much you have invested in your child. Materially, monetarily. Physically, you think about how much you have invested in their well-being. Why? Because you love them. Because you care about them. Because you're concerned. you want the best for your children, don't you? Now I think about it as a parent, how much money we spend on our children Academically. Some of us have spent a lot of money educating our children. Well, Why? Because we realized it's worth the investment. God has invested in us. And because He has invested in us, He is interested in us. That's why He genuinely cares, isn't it? When you boil it all down, number one, God has invested in us And because of that investment, He is interested in us. You mean to tell me God is interested in my welfare? That He really cares about where I am and what I'm going through, what I'm struggling with? Does God care when I am hurting? When I feel helpless in life? You remember David in Psalm 56? David facing a lot of trials in life. And here's what David said to God. Put my tears in your bottle. In other words, my tears are precious in your sight. Well, Why? Because God's interested in us. There's not a one of us in this life who is hurting that God doesn't hurt with us. He's interested in us. Look, He has made the ultimate investment in us. And because of that, His interest, He has our welfare at heart. That's why Peter said, I want you to cast all your cares on Him. And here's the reason, because He cares for you. If you don't leave here with anything else today, I want you to leave here knowing that God cares for you. That He genuinely cares for you. And Peter's saying, number one, you need to give God your cares. You need to give Him your cares constantly. You need to give God your cares completely. You need to give God your cares confidently. His genuine care. And then secondly, His gracious care. We are blessed by the gracious hand of God, aren't we? You remember back in Hebrews chapter 4, the writer talks about, we spent some time and discussed this in Bible class this morning. But how we have a great high priest named Jesus who is passed into the heavens. Our great high priest sits at the right hand of God. He is the one who intercedes on our behalf, mediates on our behalf, and functions as our advocate daily. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is our great high priest. And so in verse 15, he said, we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our weaknesses or infirmities, but one who has been tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. The writer there is saying that Jesus has the ability to feel with us with regard to the anxieties and trials and troubles and temptations of this life. He understands because He has been here on planet Earth, clothed in human flesh, lived among men, faced the trials and temptations of life. He knows what we're going through. And because He can identify with us, In verse 16, he would say, let us therefore draw boldly under the throne of grace. In other words, I want you to come before the throne of God confidently. Come before His throne. Well, why? The writer said, let us therefore draw boldly under the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I said a minute ago, Peter is saying, I want you to give God your cares in this life. Well, why, Peter? Because He genuinely cares and because He graciously cares. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul talked about how we serve a God who is the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all, A-L-L, same word, all our tribulation. God has the ability to shower upon us the grace that we need in times of need. I love the definition of grace. Someone doing for us what we are unable to do for ourselves. Are there times in my life when I am struggling, dealing with anxiety and worry and trial and tribulation and temptation, and I am shouldering these things day in and day out, And I need God's mercy and grace, yes. When you turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and you read about the Apostle Paul as he talks about that thorn in the flesh. There have been a lot of people that have speculated about Paul's thorn in the flesh. It had been given unto him because of the abundance of the revelations he had received from God. And I really think if you look at the context, the reasoning behind the giving of this thorn in the flesh was to keep Paul humble. Because he said, lest I be exalted above measure. He said, this thorn in the flesh was a messenger of Satan given to buffet me. He said, I besought the Lord three times that he would remove this thorn in the flesh. And what was it God said to him? You remember? My grace is sufficient for you. You think about that. Look at what Paul said. Listen to what the Hebrew writer said. Take into consideration what Peter is saying in 1 Peter chapter 5. And Peter is saying, I want you to take all of your cares, deposit those cares into the hands of a loving God. God is bigger than all your cares, He's bigger than all your concerns. He has the ability to provide you with the mercy and grace that you have in your time of need. We talk about the all-sufficiency of Scripture. Behind the all-sufficiency of Scripture is the all-sufficiency of the Savior that we serve, right? All-sufficient. So Peter here is saying, you need to be smart. You need to be submissive clothe yourself with humility in this life because humility will enable you to come before the throne of God in times of trial, in times of temptation. And listen to David. Centuries earlier, David said in Psalm 55, cast your burden on the Lord. And what will He do? He will sustain you. You mean to tell me that there's somebody... Who cares enough about me to help me through the world in which I live? The answer is a resounding yes, unequivocally yes. I do not know all the things that you're burdened with, the things that you're dealing with on a daily basis. But I want you to know this, there is a God in heaven who is genuinely interested in you as a human being. He cares about you. There is not another person on this planet that cares for you like God does. I promise you that. As a parent, you know how much you care for your child. God is our Father and we are His children. You remember John said in 1 John 3, verse 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we've been called the sons of God or the children of God. We are heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. We enjoy all these blessings and favors. And Peter is simply saying, look, you need to be wise enough in this world. Don't carry the baggage of life around with you on a daily basis. You give it to God. Be smart. Don't live beneath your knowledge. Live according to your knowledge. Thirdly, Peter says you need to be submissive you need to be smart and you need to be listen to him you need to be strong well why is that number one Peter says stay vigilant look at verse 8 in verse 8 be sober be vigilant well why Peter because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Peter's saying you need to stand guard. You need to be vigilant in your Christian life. Understanding that there is an adversary out here like a roaring lion. Would you stick, would you stick your head in the mouth of a lion? I wouldn't. And yet we have this roaring lion out here, the intent of which is to destroy your faith. Peter here is talking about the fact that this roaring lion is intent on destroying our relationship with God. As I think about this adversary, I'm reminded of the deceitfulness and destructiveness of the devil. In Revelation chapter 12 at verse 9, John talks about the devil. He identifies him as the deceiver of the whole world. When did all that start? With regard to his deception and the human family. Didn't it go back to the Garden of Eden? Wasn't it the devil that appeared in the form of a serpent in the garden and began to question Eve? Ultimately, she succumbed to temptation, didn't she? Ate of the, of the forbidden tree of knowledge of good and evil. When she ate of the forbidden tree of knowledge of good and evil, the door was opened. The opening of that door enabled death to come upon the human family. Adam and Eve began to die spiritually. They began to die physically. And you think about the work of the devil and the destructive wake that he has left in the path of the human family going all the way back to the garden. Everywhere you go, everywhere the human family goes, there is death, deceit, and destruction, is there not? Didn't Jesus say in John chapter 8, verse 44, as He talked about the devil? Didn't He identify him as a liar and a murderer? That's the devil. And Peter here is saying, look, you need to be strong. You need to be sober. You need to be vigilant because this devil, adversary, not an ally, an adversary, he is walking about as a roaring lion and his intent is to gulp you down. He wants to destroy your faith. He'll do anything he can to disrupt, dismantle, and destroy the faith that you have in Almighty God. So you need to be—you need to be vigilant, always on guard. Back in Exodus, or rather, back in the book of Ezekiel, in chapter thirty-three, Ezekiel talks about the watchman on the walls. Here's a man who's watching on behalf of the people in a particular city. Ezekiel, of course, became a watchman on behalf of God's people. The point I want to make is this. We need to be like watchmen on the walls. Vigilant. Always looking around. Always understanding the devil is doing everything in his power to destroy us. So he says, number one, number one, you better be vigilant. Number two, not only... Not only should we stay vigilant, but he says we need to strive to be victorious. Look at verse 9 now. In verse 9, Peter writes, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. And Peter here is talking about the sufferings that they were faced with in the first century because of their faith in the Lord. And Peter's saying, look, if you want to be victorious as a child of God, we all want to be victorious. We all want to stand before God one day and hear Him say, well done, good and faithful servant, right? That's what we want. If we're going to be victorious, then we've got to number 1 be steadfast in the Lord. Peter said, "You resist him, steadfast in the faith." Didn't Paul write in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, "Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not vain in the Lord." We are steadfast We are immovable. Our faith is not up for negotiation. We're not going to compromise our faith. We're not going to make concessions. We're not willing to recant our faith, come what may. We're going to be steadfast in the Lord, and we're going to be strong in the Lord. Didn't Paul write in Ephesians chapter 6, Be strong in the Lord in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. Why, Paul? That you might be able to stand against the wiles, the schemes of the devil. Peter's saying, look, we're at war. As a child of God, you need to understand, as long as you're here on planet Earth, you're at war. You're going to face trials. You're going to face temptations in life. You need to remember what you're up against. When you realize what you're up against, your trust needs to be in whom? Lord. You live a steadfast life. You live a, steadfi- a steadfast life in the Lord and you stay strong in the Lord. You know, life's tough, isn't it? At best, it's hard. There are some people that seem to go through life with a certain amount of ease. Others seemed like one thing after another. One trial, one form of tribulation after another. Years ago, I remember conducting a funeral service at the cemetery. At the conclusion of the graveside service, one of the family members and I were walking together. I never will forget this person saying to me about the deceased. It was as if a black cloud followed him wherever he went. You know, life can be like that. But to understand that we serve a God who is interested in our well-being. He has made the ultimate investment. And listen, God wants you to be with Him on the other side one day. When Peter talked about those trials that we face in life back in 1 Peter chapter 1, listen to him in in about verse 9. Peter said, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The aim of the Christian life is to go home and be with God, isn't it? Had the opportunity to attend a funeral service Friday for a close friend of mine. His mama died. As we stood at the side of the grave, my buddy said, My mama's been gone for a long time. She battled Alzheimer's. I couldn't help but think about, well, he even made the statement. He said, you know, she got to a point where she was ready to go. She wanted to die. And He said, she's 88 years old, lived a good life. It's time. She lived the Christian life so that she could be with God one day. Everything in her life led up to the point to that day that she left this world to be with the Lord. That's what life's all about. Living for God so that one day we can live with God. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, could I encourage you to come to Christ? I know I say this every week. I know every single week we give God's plan of salvation. There's a reason for that. Because there are always people who come or who are listening or watching via our streaming service who don't know God. They haven't obeyed the gospel. And we want people to know what to do so that one day they can be with Him. So first and foremost, you have to have faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Paul said we walk by faith, not by sight. So if you have faith in the Lord and you would be willing to repent of your sins, to give up a life of sin, confess the name of Christ, and then be immersed in water, here's the beautiful part. All of your sins, not just some, all of your sins will be washed away, according to Peter in Acts 2.38 it is at that point that God will then take you out of the world and put you in the church. The church is where the reconciled are. The church is where the redeemed are. And the beauty of being in the church is Christ is the Savior of that body. If you're here today, and let's just say that you're here, but your life's not what it ought to be. And you need the prayers of this church. I want you to know whatever you're dealing with in this life we would be more than happy to pray with you and for you. If you need to rededicate your life to the Lord understanding that He will abundantly pardon based on 1 John 1 verse 9 we'll pray with you. If you're dealing with trials and tribulations in life and you you feel like you just can't make it any longer and you need the prayers of the church we're here to pray with you. You know why we do that? Because we're a family, aren't we? And we're here to support one another. Won't you come as we stand and sing?